Welcome back, everybody, to the Xcast. The truth is in here. I'm your host, Tony Black, as ever, and I'm delighted to be joined by a brand new Xcaster, although by no means a new podcaster this week. Let's say hello to my guest, Mr. Matt Lamborn. Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me, mate. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. You're uh, you're you're now one of the Blu-ray crew, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yeah, and <laughs> I only found out about the Blu-rays thanks to you tweeting about before Christmas, trying to get some uh, hype up for for Xcast. So that provided the perfect Christmas present for my wife to acquire for me. So thank you very much for that. You've already done me a good deed. Well, my pleasure, and thank you to Mrs. Lamborn because she is a legend. For buying that, I mean that's the best Christmas present any wife could ever buy a husband. I think so. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so today we're uh, going to talk about a first season episode, uh, but before we get there, we're gonna because you're new on the show, Matt, and the way it works on the Xcast is that I ask everyone who is new the um, so-called five questions of X, which is five little primer questions to get your idea about your fandom with the X-Files. So, yeah, yeah, this should be fun. Okay, so question one is simply, when did you discover the X-Files? I pretty much was into it as it was happening. It coincided with me starting high school when it launched on on BBC Two way back in 94. So I I watched like the pilot and the first episode as they were, so I was in it from the very beginning and can very distinctly remember discussing this with my RE teacher, ironically of all things, the (laughs) the day after the first episode aired. And uh, yeah, so I pretty much stuck with it right from the very beginning. I think some of the later series I didn't watch as they launched, but picked them up again over time when they got a home release and whatnot. Um, but the first like four or five seasons, I watched them literally as they happened and was a big fan from day one. I think it's a similar story for us, because we're about the same age then, roughly, because I was, I was just starting secondary school, high school at 1993. So, yeah, it's a similar... And that was, like, yeah, when it was just pretty much hitting British shores, because obviously we're both in the UK, and it was... It was a brand new, this brand new show. So it was great, wasn't it, to actually be there when it was when it was first kicking off. Yeah, it, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before, and that's not without trying to sound overly cliche, but it was really cutting-edge stuff on TV at the time, particularly on terrestrial TV. You know, this sort of thing, if it was to be a brand new endeavour today, would almost certainly end up on satellite or cable TV for some of our... Mm. American listeners and whatnot, these type of things don't really land on the BBC very often. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty exciting times to, to be watching. Yeah, definitely. It really was. It's great to discover it like that. So that's awesome. Okay, question two. What is your favourite episode of The X-Files? I've got a lot of favourite episodes, so this was really <laughs> difficult to narrow down. And I could very easily dip into the main X-Files mythology and, and pluck one of those episodes out because there's so many good ones. But I actually went for one that I guess you could say is more Monster of the Week. And I really like Beyond the Sea from season one. Oh, that's a good choice. Yeah, um, I love the performance of Brad Jarif mm. as Luther Lee Boggs on that one. He's one of my favourite lesser-known actors. And uh, he was absolutely phenomenal in that. And I just love how the episode in general, how it really forces Scully to open her mind to the realms of, of the fantastic, which she hadn't really done too much prior to that point. And how her and Mulder's role in that particular episode completely switches, where it's Mulder who's the more grounded, the anchor to probability, if you like, mm-hmm. and is definitely behaving as more of the sceptic, trying to yeah. protect Scully from this 
rather odd and menacing individual. And Scully's faith in, in that episode is repeatedly tested throughout, and, it, and it's fascinating to watch. And it's one of those... There's a few moments in the first and the second series where Scully has these awakenings, where she has to really broaden her mind up to the stuff that Mulder's channeling from day one. And, and this is one of those examples of that, and it's extremely enjoyable. It's, it is a really good one. And it's, I think it's the one that I've, I've been getting my girlfriend into the X-Files lately and we've been going through the first season and I've been saying, right, there's a few, there's some, some episodes you can skip really, you know, there's, there's some dodgy ones. So we've been get, going to the good ones really throughout and we got to be on the sea and that was, I said to her, that's the first one really after the first couple or two or three that I think really is not just really good X-Files, but really good drama in itself yeah i would agree with that yeah because it it really like you said like you described really well it gets into it flips it with Mulder and scully in a way that you know he's quite brave at that point really because we're only like 13 episodes into the show and already they're they're changing the the dynamic around and actually opening scully's eyes to more and i it's when you look back you think well wow that was that was really good to do that early and it's almost a shame that then you have to sit through a few more seasons of uh, really not sort of believing a lot of stuff when you feel like going, come on, Scully. <laughs> you basically just uh, open open to the fact your dad's going to communicate from beyond the grave and you don't believe that that's a, a flute man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's multiple instances where they could have flipped the switch on Scully in the first few seasons and they choose not to, like, they really need to ram the nail home until it becomes yeah. completely undeniable. Um, however, I think this is one of those ones where they could have easily done it that early and she could have gone from 100% sceptic to uh, a believer yeah. very, very easily at that point. But uh, they made her cling on a little bit longer. I, I guess, um, admittedly, it's the show, isn't it? Sceptic believer. So they, I suppose yeah. they had to do that. Precisely, yeah. But no, it's a fantastic choice, definitely. I can't wait till the X-Cast gets to be on the sea, which won't be too far now, really, down the road. Okay, question three. What is your favourite season of the X-Files? Again, this is really tough because I'm I'm so on the fence between season three and four because I think that's where the central storyline of X-Files really hits its peak. Mm. And there's a few episodes either side of, of season three and four that I really like in regards to the main mythology, like 731 and Tunguska mm. really stand out for me as, as excellent mythology episodes. Um, so if I can cheat, I, I'm going to hedge my bets between both of those. I, I find it really <laughs> difficult to, to narrow it down to one. But all, all the best X-Files for me happened up until like sort of season five, and then it, it slowly starts to diminish ever so slightly, but three and four was really the, the red-hot best of X-Files for me. That seems to be the consensus, really, from most of the people who are coming on the show, to be honest, that it's it's at its peak in around season three, four, and it starts to tail off after five. And I I'm, I completely agree. I think two, three, and four are the X-Files at its best. I like some of the later seasons. You know, I'm, I'm a big champion of season eight, actually. I think season eight is really good. And there are some terrific standalone stories, especially in that season. But I think you're right. Yeah, I think that's the peak point. Okay, uh, question four. Who is your favourite character on the X-Files? Now, this doesn't have to just be Mulder and Scully. Obviously, it could be anybody. It could be a guest character. It could be anything. Sure. Um, I think it's fair to say Mulder's probably the most interesting character in all, all the X-Files, but if I step outside of our leading two, yeah. I've always enjoyed the dynamic between Mulder and Alex Trajek. Oh, good one. Yeah, um, good choice. 
they're constantly in flux throughout the entire show's history. And he's one of those ones, though, that you can't help but enjoy watching, even though he's incredibly annoying and you don't trust him <laughs> yeah. at any point, even when he's trying to be on the right side of things. He, he's an annoying bastard. But, yeah, I've, I've always really liked the dynamic between those two. And there's that, that little funny aspect that they've both got these uh, names of Dutch origin, which is a little bit strange. Yeah, that's true, but actually. I'm sure there's something in that that I haven't quite picked up on along the way. I, you know, I don't know if they ever got into that, actually, in the whole idea of... With Krychek, obviously there was a, there was a Russian connection that came out later that there was you know that he was a Cossack or that he was involved in the Cossacks. Yeah. I think it was so Krychek was a bit more. But with Mulder, it, there was the Jewish thing, obviously. But they never really got into any kind of Dutch heritage. But he's definitely a Dutch name. You're absolutely right. So that's that's interesting. That's a good point, really. Yeah. And weirdly enough, I don't think anyone has mentioned Krychek yet on the X. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised that no one went there. I mean, everyone's had good things to say about. Deep Throat and Mr. X and stuff, all valid choices and whatnot. But I was really, so no one's really picked up on this. No one liked this guy as much as I did, or at least watching <laughs> him as much as I did, because he's, he's not a likable character in general. But he's good entertainment, he's good to watch, and the effect that he has on the show throughout is, is very good. So, yeah. yeah, just to throw one out of left field that maybe fewer people are going to choose, a little bit hipsterish, I go with Kreischer. <laughs> Definitely, I think that's fine. Absolutely, yeah. He's he is a great character. You love to hate. It was always great when Crichton would pop up, especially in the later series when he was really a loose cannon. And then you'd see him and you go, "Oh, what's he up to?" He just pop in and out every now and then. Oh, he's up to something. It was really good. Yeah, exactly. Okay, finally, then, what is your favourite moment? If you could pick a favourite moment from the show, or do you even have one? You know, something that sticks in your mind, a scene, a specific line, anything that you just think you love and you could remember yeah i think in terms of summing up what the x-files was, was going to be about at an early stage i think the season one finale where deep throat is killed yeah during the exchange of the earl and mayor flask that was a, a big deal because you didn't expect him to die mm. at that point it's, it's almost akin to when they execute ned in in game of thrones yes um, and yeah. you just you just think, okay, he's threatened here, but he's going to get out of this because we, we've grown to like this character too much in a short period of time to let him go this early. But but there he goes, and then of course you get the moniker of, of don't trust no one, and we didn't realise at that point how much of a larger consequence that would have than we'd ever previously been led to believe. So I think that finished off the first season perfectly and and set up the the whole distrust for the rest of the show thereafter and that you could never really get too attached to these characters that come in and out of the X-Files because you never know when one might be taken away no one's safe and no one's indisposable as far as the writing was concerned yeah i mean that's so true in fact i'm pretty sure pretty sure somebody said that as their favorite moment or I've heard it somewhere. You, you can understand why, because it is. It really is the moment that you go. It gives you chills where he says, "Trust no one" with his dying words, and it just it really opens the show up to being more than just a, a, a procedural with a bit of wackiness. It just you're absolutely right. It's a it's a seminal moment really in the show and in TV. So I think that's a that's a tremendous choice. Yeah, and I think the Earl of My Flask as well. He's just one of the best episodes of the entire show. Yeah, in general. it's phenomenal. It's absolutely. brilliant. Great. Um, Cool, okay. So uh, that's a little bit of a, of a idea of your ex-fandom. So some really good choices there, Matt. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you.
Okay, we're going to move on to talk about the main bulk of the episode, and this week we are covering episode 6 of season 1, Shadows. Um, I'm here to give my two-week notice. Ah. Lauren, Jane told me about you crying in Howard's office, and I, I want you to know you're not alone. As a matter of fact... We share something special. Howard and I started this company ten years ago, and as long as I knew him, he had no interest in anything besides work. And so some of us became family. I was his brother, and you were like a daughter to him. So, of course, I feel very close to you. And I... I want to take care of my family. Stay, Lauren, please. The company needs you, especially now. I won't let you leave, Lauren. What's wrong? I, um, I, I can't. I, I have to leave. I can't. I can't be here anymore. You've got two weeks. Shadows, the sixth episode of season one of The X-Files, aired on October the 22nd, 1993, and was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong in their second script, and directed by Michael Cattleman. And the story, in brief is when two dead bodies turn up in Philadelphia, Mulder and Scully investigate the deaths and meet a secretary who seems to be protected by a mysterious force. So then, out of ten, Matt, what would you give Shadows? Mm. I seem to remember liking this a lot more when it first there than I seem to do now, whether that's because of the standard was raised so much higher thereafter. It's a good episode, but it's certainly not one of the top tier ones. And if I can give it half points, I'm going to go for a six and a half out of ten for this one. Definitely (laughs) enjoyable. And it's a little bit different to your typical Monster of the Week type stuff. Um, But, yeah, entertaining, but certainly not on on the top draw. I'm laughing because you've given it exactly the same score as me. Oh, that's a relief. (laughs) It's good that we're barking up the the same tree on this one. Yeah, it's a pretty good median, I think, for this. I I completely agree with you. I think it's it's a, a fun fairly disposable episode that was beaten a lot more you know even in the first season but i think it's it's not as bad as as some of the others you know it's comparing it to the jersey devil last week there's a lot more pace to this there's a lot more going on it's just a bit more enjoyable really it's a bit mad <laughs> yeah it, it is it, it ventures on the realms of ridiculousness at times but um yeah, there's enough in there to to make it not one of those ones that I might choose to skip over if I'm going for a season-long rerun. Um, it's it's entertaining enough to definitely revisit from time to time. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But uh, it, it turns out that this episode was... Uh, this obviously by Morgan and Wong, who are two of the most successful writers on the show. And they wrote this because it was a reaction to 20th Century Fox requesting more episodes where Mulder and Scully help people while they're investigating the paranormal. And... They liked ghost stories, and the executives had gone, we should do a ghost show, we should do a poltergeist show. So they were like, okay, we'll write a poltergeist show. 
so they uh, they did it mainly. They did this episode to get the executives off their back, and that's a quote. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it certainly did the trick. I, I would have thought. Well, and, yeah. and it's interesting as well because um, the actress Lisa Waltz, who plays Lauren Kite in this, she actually appeared in Pet Cemetery Two prior to filming this particular episode. So she's got a bit of a grounding in, in horror and paranormal. So it didn't just literally pluck her out of uh, of nowhere, so to speak. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah, that's that's interesting then because uh, she's one of those actresses that I've not really seen in much else apart from this. I only really remember her from this. You so know, what? she she has one of these these looks. It looks incredibly familiar every time I watch this. I, I know her from somewhere <laughs> other than this, but I probably don't. I just yeah. think I had a bit of a crush on her as a kid or something because she's a nice looking girl. She but is, anyway, she is she is pretty. That's true. I used to think similar actually when I was younger, but. Uh, yeah, I think that's a fair score for Shadows. So let's get into it. It opens, obviously, with introducing the uh, the character of Lauren, Lauren Kite, who is, a, in many respects, she's the first person that the show is about who isn't really Mulder or Scully or a monster, really. If you think about it, the pilot and Deep Throat were really about Mulder's quest and them coming together. Squeeze was about the tensions between Mulder and... The, the normal investigators and in inverted commas and tombs and everything. And then you had Conduit, which was about Mulder and his sister. And then the Jersey Devil, which was less about the monster, but more about Mulder going, you know, to extremes. So this, this really feels like the first one where it's as much about Lauren as it is about them. Yeah, I guess you could say that. And that correlates perfectly to the mandate that, uh, Morgan and Wong got from from Fox, as she said previously, that they're, they're having to do things other than literally just investigating things in black and white. That there's a person who requires help along the way, and I guess that further est- establishes Mulder and Scully as genuine good guys. They're not just purely professional investigators. That they are going to pick up things along the way that they stumble upon it. And in this particular instance, Lauren definitely does require their help. Yeah, I think that's true. It, it kind of humanises them a bit to a a normal person, again, in inverted commas, because, yeah, Lauren could be anybody, really. You know, she could be a, a, a friend of yours who's in her 20s, you know, and this is happening too. So I think it's the whole idea of normalising a show. You know, Morgan and Wong said when they were talking about it that they wanted them off their back so they could do much more offbeat stories, which, you know, in the end, with Beyond the Sea, which they wrote, as you mentioned earlier, they did. But they wouldn't have probably got to make Beyond the Sea had they not done a Shadows. So it's, it's, a, it's a trade-off, really, which is interesting. Yeah, perfectly justified trade-off. In well, my yeah, opinion. You, if, if they want to go for an old-fashioned ghost story to, to bring this a little bit close to home for people, then that's fine with me. Exactly, exactly. So obviously, at the beginning, we see Lauren upset about the death of her boss, Howard Graves. You know, very... Uh, yeah, great name. Very well great. done. <laughs> well done for that, yeah. Round of applause for the script writers. Well, and he struck me. He, he Even though, yeah, they're, they're quite a big company, he seems to be quite a powerful man because he's, he's got... He's about four, three or four presidents on the wall who she's looking at, the photos that we see as we pan across his office. So he was quite a powerful dude. You know, he, he walked in the corridors of power. And it almost doesn't seem that way. It just seems like a normal company, you know, like a normal office company. Yeah, I bet we, as we discover later on, they are far from it and they are oh. rubbing shoulders with some highly influential individuals, aren't they? This is true. We'll get there in the end. But uh, but yeah, so obviously Lauren's very sad. And um, then, you know, as the credits, uh, before the credits, we get the uh, the moment where she's attacked um, by muggers um, who are robbing her in front of an extremely ancient ATM machine. 
You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, kind of thing that you put a postal order in, it's that old, you know. Obviously, then we get the two uh, kind of like stoner kids find these dead bodies and run off screaming. One of those stoner kids actually then, because I'm, I'm, as well as doing like celebrity spot every now and then, which we haven't really got in this episode, there's no one famous. I also try and spot the people who I know have been in other episodes. And what, and the guy who finds the um, the two dead Istvahan terrorists, he was in the episode Die Hand, Die Valetzt as a kid in, in season two, as a kid who um, who ends up like, being like attacked by the devil or something like devil teacher or something like that so yeah i like finding that actually and <laughs> finding those little big recurring faces i thought it would have been funny if they'd used the same uh two from the the early episode where Mulder gets onto the air force base if they'd use seth green and the other girl and they, just, <laughs> yeah. they just keep finding bodies that would have been good things linked back to them that would be pretty hilarious <laughs> yeah that would have been good like recurring characters. I think if they'd have known how like well known Seth Green was going to be, they were, they may well have done that. Um, they they should have been. You know, do you remember the episodes? I think in season three where you had the stoner guys keep coming back. They were from they were in War of the Coffridges and then they reappeared in like Quagmire and they were just getting high. Right. I don't know if you remember, but they they kept they they came back like once or twice and then they they were like killed off in Quagmire. I just wish one of them had been Seth Seth Green. That would have made a world of sense. Yeah, but that uh, yeah, pretty cool, right? Yeah. So obviously, yeah, she's attacked. These guys are found dead. How did that happen? Because it looked like she was being mugged and possibly worse. So then we uh, we get out of the credits and immediately Mulder and Scully are being called to the morgue to investigate these bodies. But they they've been summoned here by some very mysterious and I have to say quite stupid and shit government agents. <laughs> Yeah, they're very frustrating in their lack of willingness to even communicate, yeah. never mind cooperate. It's almost to the point of absurdity. It's like, why yeah. would anyone bring down two FBI agents and then just refuse to talk to them? Yeah, it's just really dumb, I think. You know, they just, they just like a monolith. You know, he's going, well, when did the body... Perfectly reasonable questions. How long have the bodies been dead? You know, what, what, what can you tell me about where they were found? And they're just like, no, nothing. It's like, well... Yeah, idiots. <laughs> I don't care if you're supposed to be mysterious. There's a there's a line, really. A governmental version of a jobs body right there. Well, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um but I do like the fact that they got called in through a dip. what they've what I've noticed with these episodes rewatching them is that they get they they're finding different ways to get them involved in cases each week. So whether it's Scully finding a newspaper headline last week or being approached by a friend from, you know, another part of the FBI in squeeze this week you've got them being summoned by these mysterious government agents who are, who are completely on the wrong track of what what this is all about so that was interesting i don't know if you've noticed that that they keep the writers keep making those attempts to do it differently each week yeah because if they were just to literally pluck an x-file out of the filing cabinet that it would just be molder going after the ones that are most closely associated to his interests mm. which is going to be finding samantha that's so true that's true that's ha- having point. these outside influences draw their attention into other paranormal phenomenon mm. was able to give them valid cause for varying it up a little bit hence why we find ourselves in the shadowy situation in this episode yeah, that's a very good point about Samantha, actually. I'd never really looked at it that way. Of course he would. He'd just keep looking for the cases that would lead to his sister. That's that's really yeah, that's a really good analysis there. I also thought that, I don't know about you, I might be reading too much into this, but I'm convinced the morgue assistant in that scene was dubbed 
because her voice sounds sounds different at various points when she's not on screen. <laughs> yeah, I did think something similar myself. It doesn't seem natural no, at all. It doesn't, and it's especially when she's not on screen. You you hear her slightly elevated voice. Strange. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she was dubbed anyway. Um, I'm not sure about that. That's another X star in itself. There <laughs> we go. So obviously they get out of there, and Mulder immediately thinks it's psychokinesis. And he's really excited about it. And, you know, Scully obviously finds that quite funny. And there's the references to, you know, things like, I think it, like there's the whole idea of Carrie and things like that. Although the, the main ins- inspiration for this was The Entity. I don't know if you've seen that film. Yes, I have, yeah. I haven't. Is it any good? It's very uncomfortable. Right. Put it that way because it explores sinister elements of what a spectral being would get up to if it was allowed to free reign over female protagonists Ooh, put it that way okay. so yeah it's a little bit unnerving and i can imagine if i'd seen it when it first came out when these kind of horror movies were far less frequent it would have been extremely disturbing so mm. I, I get the inspiration for it and appreciate the tone that it's going for with that yeah yeah it's an extra thing for someone who has seen the entity it's an extra little um, you know thing they can call back to really but it, it makes sense that you know i think that Mulder would would you know come to that conclusion given the the government interest that he would think that they'd be interested in you know somebody being able to control things with their mind and and that kind of stuff you know i, I don't think at this point it's because the episode goes out of its way to try and lead you down a, a, you know the wrong path it doesn't do it massively well but it goes out of its way to make you think it's psychokinesis so i think but it, and it, i think it makes more sense to Mulder at this point that they'd be interested in that than you know a, a poltergeist really yeah, I think it's a, a fair assumption in, in terms of how Mulder's mind works that he, he would go down that route. Mm. Um, but there's a lot more to learn about the situation before they can make the final uh, judgment on that. And, of course, once they start getting to know Lauren, they will start to appreciate that she's not the type who would be using any such powers for those kind mm. of purposes. Yeah, exactly. I did think, though, that the um, that the the print on his glasses was, even though it was a quite a cool shot, I thought, that's a bit of a leap, you know, <laughs> getting a print. Yeah, it was very clever, I thought, oh, that's a very ingenious yeah. way of getting hold of that. But It's a very Sherlock kind of way, I think, very Sherlockian, you know, you could imagine them doing that now in Sherlock, but yeah. uh, something like that. It's, I bet it's been copied many times. Well, <laughs> yeah, true. So obviously then we're back with Lauren, and she's um, she's at work. And uh, she's trying to give a notice in because she can't work there anymore. And uh, as it turns out, you know, we know that she's a little bit aware of more that's going on in that company than than we know at this point. We find that out later. But um, this is where we meet the the villain, ostensibly of the piece, Robert Dorland, who's the um, basically just a corporate sleaze, isn't he really? Yeah, he's a bit of a twat, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> this is the best way to describe him. He's not. He's not scary. He's not like. He's just a knob, <laughs> basically. And he just obviously, you know, threats Lauren, threatens Lauren a little bit, and then he gets choked by his bracelet. The, the thing is, I can see why, you know, again, it's making the point that is Lauren actually, you know, choking him with that bracelet with her mind because she's freaked out by this, you know, she's heightened emotionally. But it just seems, it just, it's a bit funny in like, <laughs> it's not, it's not quite as scary as I think it wants to be or weird. I just find little things, little things like that in this episode funny. Yeah, it's it, well, it's it's kind of like the, one of the first scenes where we see this this spectral being come into effect, and it's not particularly visually impressive. It's barely dramatic, yeah. and the boss Dawn gets over it a bit too quickly. <laughs> if you like, if yeah. I'd just been strangled by my brace, I'd be like, 
what the fuck? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, you, you got two weeks, bugger off. Yeah, yeah. You, you'd be going, what just happened? <laughs> it's true. It's a, it's a bit of a leap, but um, so obviously, yeah, we we're, we've established that, and then at the same time, you know, Mulder and Scully don't know about Lauren yet, and they're they're still looking at the um, the Istvahan connection, and they're trying to ID those guys. I have to say, I don't know about you, I don't think that that if this episode was made now, they would have used an Arab terror cell. It's a bit too close to the mark for for modern day. Uh, yeah. I think they would probably go with Russians or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. slightly more generic. Exactly. Soviet separatists, something or other. Yeah, I, th- I agree. I think you know this was the era. Obviously, it was. You had got. Yeah, there was the the first World Trade Center bombing in like nineteen ninety two. I think it was, which didn't destroy the building, but it was. It was quite a big one. And, you know, around this time, you had things like the Oklahoma bombings, which were much more domestic terrorism. But it was in that kind of, I hate to use this term, but sweet spot of te- of the terror world where the 90s kind of was just the calm before the storm. And it feel, and you had a lot more of the kind of shows then, quite happily having Arab terrorists running around, like Art Malik in, in True Lies. You know, they were treated a lot more silly and just throw away. Whereas now, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get away with that now. No, you'd have to go for something far more generic than specific Middle Eastern terrorist groups, basically yeah. Al-Qaeda or ISIS, specifically yeah. in, in the modern day era. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. They wouldn't go down that particular route, but not that the origin of this terrorist group is particularly relevant to this. Well, this, well, this, this is episode. the thing. It's really throwaway. You know, they're, they're mentioned... There is a there is a tenuous connection to the story with them, but they're they're, they're you just they're basically represented by two quite like stupid thugs, you know. That's it. Who just are killed off right at the beginning. So, yeah, I think they would go a different direction with that. Obviously, then they Mulder and Scully are looking at the ATM footage, and this is where they see the ghost image on the ATM camera, and they find out about Lauren. I, I like it when we see those grainy kind of distorted images on the on the show. I think I think that's I think it's really good when that happens, you know, because it, it just adds that little extra credibility. Yeah, it doesn't want to be too clean of an image, and because it likes to be suggestive rather than literally throwing the answer into your face and allows people to sort of draw their own conclusions ever so slightly. Yeah, yeah, I like that about it. It leads them obviously to Lauren. This is where they meet her. They start asking her questions, and the, 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 the ha- there is a moment here though that I went, "Oh, come on, Scully." where she basically says, she points to the ghost, and she goes, have you seen this person before? So, what do you mean, person? <laughs> it's a floating shape above <laughs> that someone being dragged off. I was like, really? Would you really say a person? Yeah, I agree. That's a little bit odd, but it works in respect that Lauren's reaction to that is equally as weird, that she doesn't just go, what person? Which is what most people's reaction be. It's like once she sees it, she re- she knows what it is and and reacts to it in a way that they hope they would do, even though it's a pretty much a throwaway question to anyone else they would ask. But she reacts badly to it, and it sends them down the right path thereafter. Yeah, that that is true. That's a good way of looking at it, really. Although I I just do think it, in some respects it's bad writing to force Scully scepticism. Really, I mean, in in a way, I don't, I just think that realistically you wouldn't say person. You know, you wouldn't point to that. I just think that's 
they're pushing the writing a bit there. But no, I, I think the way you're looking at it is, is valid there. It would have been better executed if Mulder had asked that question. Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. Or have you seen this before, or even without the person? I don't know. What do you think about the um, the ghost car hijacking afterwards? That's pretty scary. I think that, that's the point where this additional entity that we're not 100% confirmed on yet, but we're all sort of leaning towards, really starts to, to do some some truly menacing stuff, not just choking some dude with his bracelet for, for a couple of seconds. Yeah. Uh, he pretty much attempts to kill Mulder and Scully uh, at that point. And it's from that point on that they start to deviate away from perhaps the psychokinetic route and, and start to look at the, the true nature of the case. Mm, yeah, it is quite a dramatic moment, definitely. And it, it's it's quite well executed as well. I, I still think they're trying to push the Lauren thing, though, as well, because you, you see her at the window watching the, watching the car. And, you know, I still think there's a hint of them trying to suggest she's doing this with her mind, even if she doesn't know she's doing it. They're half and half now. They're sort of... They've laid out the clue that it's a ghost. And obviously, you know, it's not hard to fathom anyway, you know, really. But I think they're, they're still trying to play with you. But like you say, it's after this that they really... Mulder starts to realise there's, you know, there's more to this going on. Which is... Especially when he's... Um, when he, he starts to mention poltergeists when, when they're in the car shop. And he... Um, the light is on, which I think is quite a cool indicator to show some kind of you know energy generating theory that he's got. I like that that the car light was remaining on. Yeah, and it's a brand new car. There can't really be any technical faults with it yet. We've got this issue with the lights being on and everything else is shut off. Everything it's hotter than it should be, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's channeling some sort of energy that they can't explain. Yeah, uh, which adds further depth to to either theory at this point, whether it's spectre or, or kinesis at this point which is causing the issue do you think though that he got to poltergeist a bit quickly it didn't occur to me that he might have done to be honest but I, i'm guessing you're going to throw me a theory <laughs> <laughs> it was more, less a theory more an observation I, I, i'm maybe I'm, I'm picking a bit too hard but i just was there going well i don't know if that's the the straight away the leap that you that you would make you know I suppose that that's the point, though, with Mulder, in that he does make those leaps, really, and that he can go straight in his head, oh, well, it must be a poltergeist then. There's no other explanation for that. So I can buy it. It wasn't that I was taking out the story. I can completely buy it. I just thought, well, that's a bit fast, because you, you've been convinced it's psychokinesis, and now suddenly, oh, it's a ghost then. But I think what sells it is the fact that there's that wiggly image on the camera. You know, the, 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 that, that makes me, if that hadn't been there, I'd have gone, oh, cut, no, hang on a minute, you need more proof there. So yeah, yeah. I just talked myself point. out of my own skepticism. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine being Scully. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't think Scully. I, I'm not sure. I, I believe that Scully at this point, Scully thinks Lauren's involved. I don't know if there's enough evidence for that though either. You know, she's convinced at this point. That's her. That's her skepticism side. I don't know really if 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 there's enough to say that she's in league with these people. Yeah, I think that that's a fair comment and. It's not something that they've necessarily um, pursued from their own lines of investigation. They're just tailing the two uh, dead bodies that turn up at the beginning, and then Lauren goes to them specifically for help, which is how they become more deeply embroiled in it. Yeah. So it's nothing that she's done that's led them down this path of investigation. She's invited it on herself. Mm. So it would be difficult for them to come to those kind of conclusions yeah. normally. Yeah. It's a little bit of a leap. 
but they're obviously they're investigating further now, and we get the uh, the return of the microfiche. I think that's what it's called, where it cycles. You know the old uh, thing of looking at newspapers. Right. Um, I think it's called the microfiche. Uh, the one that I think it's in Squeeze, where Mulder says it makes him seasick. Yeah, because uh, we see. I always them. wanted to use one of those machines. They are cool, aren't they? Yeah, they're they're wonderfully retro now. But um, yeah, but and now we have the internet. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. No need. <laughs> but obviously, then they they find out about Howard Graves and his um, you know, his suicide. Uh, what seems to be apparent suicide, and there's a nice emphasis of bathtub in the article. The cover actually focuses on bathtub. This will be important later, which I, which made me chuckle a little bit. Yeah, no, it's not ramming it down your throat for hygiene purposes. <laughs> well, yeah. we're, we're getting a bit more uh, dark and mysterious than that. Mm, yeah, they're obviously they go to the grave, and here there's perhaps a little bit on the nose writing from Morgan and Wong to make the suggestion that Lauren was like a surrogate daughter to Graves, because obviously we find out he had a daughter who died who would have been Lauren's age and she was a little child. So the writing, I think, could have been a bit more subtle, but it sells the point, you know, that they had this relationship and that there's a reason she would have cared so much for him because he was he was he he saw her as the daughter he never had, really. Yeah, although there's one thing about this scene that, that troubles me, is why the mother hasn't been buried next to the daughter already. Why is she on the other side? And then they've just left the daughter's grave on her own, ready for when daddy dies. That never really made sense to me. I think mm. if, unless the mother and daughter had a strained relationship, which this never goes into any detail about yeah. to suggest that there was, the mother should be dead and buried there already. That's true. I just found that a bit weird. I'd never thought of that. That's a, that's a really good point. It's overly convenient. It is a little bit. That's true. That's very true. I don't know about you. I, I really thought that the um, I don't know what you describe him as the caretaker of the of the grave site. What's the right word there? That I'm, I'm not sure, uh, but you, I know exactly. You know what, you're you know what I mean. He's very strange. I don't know if it was the the performance or he was told to act a little bit weird, like you like you like your own like you run a cemetery. But he seemed he only had a couple of lines, but he seemed really odd. Yeah, he had a, a very strange elocution to him didn't he yeah the, it, his, his mannerisms and the way he talked wasn't quite on point like uh, almost like they got this guy in at the very last minute <laughs> yeah and he, he he was like just he didn't quite know his lines or he didn't quite know what he was doing it was weird it was i i think that maybe they were just trying to make the point that he works in a grave he's obviously odd which is a real yeah. generalization only weirdos would do this job <laughs> yeah, so exactly here's your token weirdo <laughs> Then, of course, we get the um, something that crops up in the next... Well, it's cropped up in pretty much most episodes. The um, the nice little plot connective of Scully typing her reports and re- recapping what we know, which is a is a cheat that they, they, they do in a lot of the first season, really, in that you'll get the scene halfway through when they're, you know, they're, they're at the point where they need a little extra kicking into gear with the plot. They need to contextualise everything. And Scully will, luckily, be sitting at the computer, tapping away... And going, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. I do think that's... I mean, they wouldn't get away with that these days. I quite like these scenes, though. And you do have to remember that the whole reason that Scully is there with Mulder is that she's there to debunk him. And that's what those scenes are supposed to be there for. She's supposed to be highlighting some of the ridiculousness of Mulder's route of investigation to, to a point, whilst trying to justify what they're seeing together at the same time. So whilst it, it provides uh, a means for them to expand on plot elements and, and whatnot, or perhaps summarise them to a point, the, there is this overall function that whilst they're very pally and whatnot on screen, she's still supposed to be, at this point, ever so slightly against him 
or at least providing balance to what it is he's trying to do. Yeah, I think that that's actually a really good point. Definitely, I think that's that kind of justifies it really more than anything else. And um, that that's that's really true. That's really true. It is a cheat, but it, it's a worthy cheat. Yeah. But then you've obviously, as as she's doing that report, you've got Mulder getting the photos that he's taken of um, of Lauren's house developed, and this is where we get a lovely little ghost photo, which is which is one of the t- very very. It's it's a little bit of dodgy sort of Photoshop in a way, but it's it's also typically the kind of things you see all the time on the internet, you know, where you see someone's face in the middle of just really sort of weirdly placed. Yeah, I can't look at photos without trying to find ghost face in in windows and and so yeah. <laughs> that's just my my automatic. I was trying to find some sort of weird artifact here that I could pass <laughs> off as a ghost or or something along those lines. So if you look hard enough on most photos you'll you'll find something amiss yeah and i'm not saying you've talked of a photo of a ghost but you can take yourself down a certain route let's say mm-hmm. and it's it's not unusual for people to look at photos and see strange things but but mold is always able to find a little bit more yeah. let's just say than than joe average and this is clear as day isn't it you know <laughs> this yes. one he's just blatantly a bloke standing behind lauren that looks exactly like graves so but the fact, obviously, we never see Graves, you know, as a as a ghost in the actual without not not in a photo. I think it works because we don't see him as anything other than like a shimmering force later. But he would show up on a photo in this logic, so I like that. I think that was really good, and it leads nicely into the what I think is the best scene of the episode, which is Lauren at night being haunted, effectively, with the creepy footsteps outside her room, and then the voices of Graves dying, you know, being killed. And then the bath filling with blood, which I just, I just think that's great. That's that's really creepy early X Files for me. Yeah, it was a great effect, especially considering the time. Although one thing I struggled to to wrap my head around, and I still do. So you have to forgive me if I sound ever so slightly naive here. Is how she can automatically deduce from that scene that he's been killed by somebody else because yeah. the yeah. same thing would happen if he did slit his wrist. Yeah, which no, is I- what you're supposed to have happened. I think you're absolutely right. I said I, I thought the same. Yeah, I thought. Well, how has she got there? How has she connected that up? That that doesn't. Yeah, I agree. And and spelling it spelling it out in dialogue as well is a bit clunky. Where she goes, they killed him. Oh, how have they killed you? Yeah. I'm like, oh, for God's so, sake. Oh, who are you telling? You're not telling anyone. You're telling us, aren't you, Lauren? You know, this is bad writing. You know, there's no one else there. Okay, yeah, it's just it's a bit dodgy. But the the whole build-up of that i think he's great i think it's done really well and it's just really that scene of the of the blood pulling out of what is clearly someone you can't see who's just slit their wrist he's creepy as hell i think that's great yeah it looks fantastic it even, does even now it still looks good it still freaks you out definitely obviously this you've got the scenes of now of Mulder and scully starting to to put these pieces together as you know of exactly what happened and finding trying to prove that graves is still alive and i do like there's a line that where um that Scully Mulder says, I think you're right. And she goes, wait, you think I'm right? <laughs> that made me laugh. Because <laughs> already she's like, you never think I'm right. What are you talking about? It's just a nice little moment. What I also liked was that a little appearance by an actress called Lorena Gale, who um, I don't know if you're familiar with. She's uh, she's no longer with us now, but she's um, she plays a very sort of morbid, sort of mor- morgue attendant, very briefly, black lady. And she just tells, she says, Howard Graves is dead. Like that. 
Yeah, very nonchalant. Very nonchalant. She she crops up in a lot of TV shows. She died a few years ago, but she's always good in in anything. She she might only appear for a scene, but she she just leaves a mark. And in this, I just thought she played that really well because she's just really odd. And there's a lot of odd people in this. <laughs> it's just with tiny little lines. Yeah, we didn't say something like because the toe tag said so. <laughs> yeah, just like, exactly. Totally doesn't give a fuck. No. <laughs> yeah, he's really not bothered. Obviously, though, you've got uh, now Lauren having a, a leaving party because she's off. And uh, I did wonder, do do people still clear out their desk and put it all in a box when they leave a job? I, I'm a neat freak. I wouldn't have a, a, a desk full of crap to put in a box, unfortunately. So I've never had that honour. Yeah. Like, I if think... I can't fit it in my coat pocket, <laughs> it's not coming with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it just feels, it just makes me laugh that, you know, it's such, a, it's such a cliche thing, you know, with your box, carrying your box on your last day, full of your plants. and Pictures <laughs> of your spouse. Yeah. It's like, yeah, people don't do I that. Don't surely still, do they? No, I don't think people still do it, but there you go. But obviously this leads to the moment where it's spelled out in black and white that Dorland pretty much did Graves in to cover up his, his dodgy dealings. And, uh, you know, he threatens Lauren. And he's not very good at keeping all this under the wraps, is he? Because he just he just shouts at her and tells her he'll kill her and all this. And it's like, well, if you're trying to conceal this and be, you're not you're not doing a very good job, mate. Really, he's just he's a bit like he's he's a very kind of cheesy corporate bastard, isn't he? He's he's very badly written. Yeah, because he he enters just about every scene very friendly yeah. initially, but switches. So fast, like yeah. he's, he's, I'm tr- being friendly to try and win you over in my favour, but I'm going to give you no time to respond to whatsoever. <laughs> Just the mere fact that you've looked at me means I'm going to go into full cunt mode, <laughs> <laughs> which is what he ends up doing. He he physically threatens her, he tries to grab her on the way out, and one he switches to being mean too quickly, and two is is threats of violence are, are entirely useless <laughs> because yeah. she doesn't seem to really respect the fact that her life's in danger at any point when he's around. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, that's the best phrase ever. You, that's my favourite. You've gone full cunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's a new fave. That's a way to surmise it yeah, quite nicely. <laughs> but he is of that ilk. Yes, he is, definitely. And then, of course, Lauren calls them up. And, um, you know, I do wonder, actually, I sat there thinking... Where would their investigation have gone if she hadn't called? Because, you know, Scully basically turns up and says, yeah, it's proven Howard Graves is dead. And she sounds so fucked off that Howard Graves is dead. She goes, Howard Graves is dead. It's like, fucking hell, this, this isn't going to be as easy as I thought. It just made me laugh. But what, where, what would, where would it have gone, really? Because they can't necessarily prove anything. They know he's dead. There's a ghost knocking about. They can't really... There's no evidence that Lauren did it. There's no evidence right now that... They don't know about really about Dorland or the company particularly. So where where does their investigation go? I did think it would be, be one of these ones where Mulder starts frant- frenetically chasing any minor lead possible to the point where he annoys Scully enough to go, Mulder, let's just go home. Which <laughs> <laughs> he does so often. And they, they go, yeah, okay. yeah, he's like, all right then. That's true, probably. But um, this gets to the point where this leads to the point where Lauren is um, at home and she's. She's attacked by, um, well, it seems like it looks like Mulder and Scully are turning up, but no, it's the um, the cliched 90s heavies in their tight leather jeans and leather, <laughs> in their tight um, jeans and their leather jackets. It was yes, random bad dude and random <laughs> yeah. bad dudette. They were so cheesy, so cheesy. 
And this is probably the most mental scene of the entire episode. In fact, I'd say it's one of the most mental scenes of the X-Files, actually. Because it's, it's a just... cool scene. It, yeah, it is. It's really good. I really enjoy it whenever I watch it, but it's mad. It's so... You know, X-Files can be quite subtle sometimes. Sometimes it's not subtle at all, but sometimes it is. This is so on-the-nose madness. But it's really good, where obviously, you know, they're attacked by Graves' invisible, shimmering poltergeist, and that he beats up the guy invisibly, and... I love that scene where he's supposedly punching the shit out of the guy and his head's going from side to side and blood's flying out of his mouth. Well, they did that very impressively. It looks very convincing. (laughs) It does. It does. It's really well done, actually. I think it's a a really well done scene. Yeah, it it builds to obviously the point where um, Mulder and Scully turn up as it's all kicking off. And, you know, this episode is really, really terrible. And it, 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 it's really obvious, that the, 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 white, the contrivances that, to make sure Scully doesn't see anything. So in this case, she, she gets a, a seatbelt stuck. Yeah, <laughs> there's so tell. many instances of this in it's the first the, oh. season, isn't there? Where if Scully wasn't five seconds behind, her eyes would be open to literally everything. Yeah. But, but she's always the last person on the scene and everything's over by the time she gets there. And it's always down to Mulder to try and relay what's actually happened to yeah. her in a believable fashion. And you couldn't make that sound believable at all. No, no, exactly. And it, in this case, it's like if she'd have turned up and seen a, a, a very sort of 90s heavy being levitated and crushed by an invisible... There's no way she could have possibly denied what she saw. So it's like... You know, it, it's just hilarious where she runs in and it's all happened. But I love, I really like David Duchovny's um, reaction because I think he sells the kind of, what the fuck? Yeah, that and scene. one of the most impressive, very subtle bits of that whole scene is when he comes through the door and he nearly trips over the first yeah. dead body on the way in. That's <laughs> true. That yeah. was really convincing. It was. You're absolutely right there. That's I thought that. But yeah, that's a, it's a really great moment. It's, it's, it's lots of fun. Obviously, then they, you know, they take Lauren in, and um, Lauren's. I, I, this was the point where I realised Scully is such a bitch to Lauren all the way through this episode. She's so stern and harsh with her all the time. You know, Lauren's obviously a victim, right? It's it's very hard to really conclude that she's she's in on this, but Scully's constantly sort of mistrusting and defensive, and, you know, and putting Lauren on the ropes. I feel like saying, just lay off her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's really quite stern with her, and it's. I do think that's a bit of a shame, really, because Lauren's just clearly just a victim. Well, she's trying to force her cynicism onto to Lauren's if to say, I'm not buying any of this shit, so yeah. you are guilty until proven innocent, unfortunately, in, in Scully's eyes. But um, he, eventually she sort of turns around on that and just gives it the sympathetic ear towards the end. But yeah, the treatment yeah. initially is very poor indeed. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. And... Um, Obviously now that Morgan and Wong are trying to tie it all together, and so you get the the really boring government guys come back into it, and um, you know start bringing the Ispan stuff back in. And this was the point where I thought, well, okay, all the all the Graves and Lauren stuff, fine, works works well enough. I can I can believe that. Dolan being a slippery corporate bastard, fine again. It's not very well written, but I believe it. All this stuff about a terrorist cell being involved with a weapons contractor and, and Graves... Pr- I just think that, well, this is all just a bit, like... It's all a bit convoluted, and it just it just feels like it didn't need to be there, you know? It's convoluted, and it's a little bit of a waste, because if you're yeah. going to go to that extent, you could surely use this in a much more effective, meaningful way than this throwaway episode. Yeah. I'm sure... What if Terra Cell was trying to obtain UFO technology? Mm. 
That would have been far more interesting. Yeah, that would have been really good, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I just, I don't even, I don't really understand why they came after Lauren either. I, I still can't really get my head around that. What, why did they, why did they try and abduct Lauren and presumably, like, you know, do some horrible stuff to her down an alley? Yeah, because it's one thing where you've got Howard Gray's the stressed out executive of a company that's going through the floor, decides to kill himself, but then his secretary does it, and that surely raises far more suspicion than the convenience of having her off actually delivers. Yeah. Yeah, so again, it's another example of why this episode, whilst fun, is flawed and the writing wasn't that good, which I think mm. uh, Morgan and Wong admit to at a later stage. Yeah, I think they're very open about how they, they think this is one of their weaker ones, really. And they, it is true. It is it is a weaker one from their perspective, but they, they wrote they wrote some of the best X-Files ever. So, you know, even a weak Morgan and Wong is entertaining enough. Yeah, that's a fair point. This is the point where, you know, after Lauren quite amusingly says... I don't know if you've ever been a secretary before. Um, to, to Mulder, I thought, I wonder what Mulder's thinking. No. <laughs> I mean, it's just a bit of a cheesy line. This is where Scully... I, it's interesting because she kind of plays Lauren here by convincing her she believes. And you can tell how disappointed Mulder is, which I, I thought was a really interesting beat. Yeah, I think this is slightly contrary to the fact that they're supposed to be there to help this individual mm. in their hour of need. And... Scully's going for a bust at this point, isn't she? She's manipulating Lauren to, yeah. to get a result out of her yeah. and giving her the sympathetic ear she needs or the, the push of encouragement to, to take it to the very end, whereas she doesn't really have a vested interest in Lauren Kite whatsoever. She just wants the, the end result and, and it, her action there is a means to an end. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's a bit calculated, really, and it's not very Scully in a way, I don't no, think. not at all. Yeah, and so... Yeah, a bit inconsistent there, but this obviously leads to the big final finale where the FBI lead this raid with with the um, government types who, quite honestly, I'd have told to fuck right off by now. I'd have been yeah, like, and, at this, and at this stage, they're doing like a dual yeah. raid, and I don't think they've truly revealed themselves what agency no. they're supposed to be. We're, we're none the wiser anyway as the audience, whoever. Skull, uh, millions. I'm going my eyes crossed. have been informed in in character is is another thing, but the, um, not that I'm aware of. At the beginning, Mulder sort of throws away. So he goes, "Ah, oh, they're probably CIA, NSA, some government agency of some kind." And it's like that's as much as we get. You know, we don't really know who they are. Frankly, we don't care either. I don't care. I just think, well, what's the point of you, really? <laughs> but they, yeah, they they go and raid, and then. You get the next mental stuff where it all comes to a head. Lauren is confronted by Dolan. They're, they're raiding the office. She's going mad trying to find the evidence that proves he's, he killed Graves. And then we get the another really cool scene, actually, of, of activity, shall we say, with the um, the office locking and all the papers flying around and the knife raising up to Dolan's throat as he's choking. I thought that was great. Really good again. Mad as a box of frogs, but really funny. Yeah, it's a good visual effect as well when the knife changes direction and flies into the wall yeah. where the document's con- conveniently hidden on site. I mean, who does that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the worst place to hide anything. But And, of course, it's a floppy disk. Wonderfully 90s, again. And yeah, not, not even a zip drive. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, what kind so, of a movie? So disappointing. Yeah. And, again, Scully misses it. Again, <laughs> this time the door's jammed. She's like, yeah, oh, the mom. second she walks up the room, everything starts to fall <laughs> into place, which is... Pst- Half of the course with early x <laughs> It's just that old dear, you know, face palm moment. So obviously, yeah, it, it all ends with 
you know, Dorlan then he's arrested. M- M- it's all been found. Graves then toddles off. And I, I had to say that I was quite surprised at just how Lauren just goes, I'm off. Thanks. And just drives away. I was like, oh, God, yeah, that annoyed the hell out of me. Is that all? For everything they've helped you with and everything you've gone through, it's just, thanks, off I go. It's like, I dare really? say that that's so American. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, American listeners of Dex but yeah. That, that wouldn't happen in, in the UK. It really wouldn't, would it? <laughs> Gee, thanks, I'm leaving. Thanks. And then uh, it is nice, though, in a way, that like it actually has, in many respects, it's one of the few X-Files to have a happy ending, really, because she just goes off and she gets a new job and she's got the nice memory of Howard Graves looking out for her. And that's it, really. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Although I interpret it ever so slightly differently because I think the overall consensus is that you're supposed to believe that Howard's ghost may have followed her. But I thought the end was, well, we're going to sit this tremor in to suggest it's, it, we're dismissing that it's Howard. This is an, a natural force now and she's allowed to get on with her life perfectly normally from this point on. So it's it's resolved. Yeah, yeah. that It was a, like a red herring, wasn't it, for a moment? And, you know, maybe he's still there. He's still knocking about, but... Yeah, it's quite resolved, and that's unusual for an X-File, really. Normally, there's the, the little tag scene of something else still out there, but uh, the whole thing and the way it ends, it smacks of formula, and it's something that the X-Files, whenever X-Files tried to do just formula, it was never as good. It was only when it really tried to think outside the box that it was brilliant. Mm. I think the best episodes of the X-Files are ones that, that it leaves it open to interpretation a little yeah. bit more, uh, and this definitely isn't that. It's, it's uh, a shot book by the yeah. end as, as far as I'm concerned and whether this is a, a, an element you'd want to revisit possibly not so it, it's good that it's kind of tied up and taken care of at this point so they're not tempted to go back there again too often but yeah. I would say it's, it's an entertaining one it's got its flaws mm. I like the way it ends yeah so so jobs are good and it? it provided a good hour's worth of relief back in the day and it's still enjoyable to watch now it's watchable yeah it's watchable case closed yeah So that was our look at Shadows, and we're going to quickly just uh, move on to the Do You Believe in section, where I ask my guest um, if they believe in the phenomena that has been uh, presented in this episode. So, Matt, do you believe in poltergeists? Cliché to say I'd like to believe. <laughs> yeah. um, it's it's an interesting concept, isn't it? And mm. it always makes for, for good fictional entertainment, uh, whether it's in some ways a happy way like having a sort of guardian angel on your side or being revisited by a loss of one or the more sinister aspect that you have this avenging angel standing over you and, and death surrounds with um I'm not religious in in the sense that I don't really believe in spiritual beings. So it's a case of I don't believe, but if it happened to be real, that's cool. Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a good way of looking at it. Poltergeist in, is, a, is a German word in folklore and parapsychology, and it, it means literally rumbling ghost or noisy ghost. And the idea of it is that it's a it's a supernatural force that's responsible for physical disturbances, such as loud noises and objects being moved or destroyed. And they're supposedly capable of pinching, biting, hitting, and tripping people. So there's, there's a mischievous element to a poltergeist, which... And this is the thing with this, with this episode. It doesn't quite track with, with Howard Graves in the sense that Poltergeist as an entity is a lot more 
mischievous and you know you you you've, you hear of some of these real life cases like the, the, the famously there was the Enfield poltergeist in London uh, which was one of the most terrifying real life stories ever uh, I don't know if you know this story. Not familiar with this one. Look it up. There was there was a drama about it recently with Timothy Spall, actually, as the investigator who looked into it, um, Morris Gross. And it's a terrifying real-life story of a poltergeist that haunts this family. Um, and some of the stuff that happened was horrible. And it's, it's, you know, demonic voices, loud noises, rocks being thrown, levitation of children. You know, and there's, there's a famous photo that purports to be a levitating child. Um, that's supposed to be real. So there's, there's a lot of really scary things about poltergeists. And the story of Shadows, yeah, the poltergeist gets up to some nasty shit, but it's ultimately got a good you know, reason behind it, that it's looking out for somebody, whereas the poltergeist itself, as an entity, if it's real, doesn't seem to be that. Yeah, so we can definitely exclude that, that it's not a quote-unquote poltergeist. Mm. It's some sort of other spectral phenomenon, yeah. more more akin to Patrick Swayze in Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah, something like that. I'm I'm like you. I don't I don't necessarily believe. So I'm not religious, you know. And and to believe in some sort of entity that could, you know, be a person is to believe that. But um, there's definitely some fascinating poltergeist stories out there in real life that make you wonder. So um, definitely look up the Enfield though everybody because that's a really really it's quite a scary story but it's really interesting and it's real so that makes it even more terrifying sleep well everybody <laughs> I don't have nightmares folks. I don't have nightmares okay for our final piece of this episode we're going to do the uh, everyone's favourite moment the X quiz and it's your first go Matt at um, trying to beat what is the now top score of 4 out of 6 by Zach Moore who was on last week no pressure then no pressure <laughs> So, are you ready for the uh, five questions and a quote? Yes, let's go. Let's do it. Okay, here we go. Name one of the presidents we see in the photos Howard Graves has on his office wall. Oh, I didn't pay attention to that, so I'm going to have to guess. Go on then. Um, Nixon. No. Unfortunately, oh. it was Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Always pay attention to photos. <laughs> Question two. Where were Howard Graves' corneas sent? Whoa. There's a, a... All his body parts at one point are sent to different parts of the country, and the pathologist reels off the places that his different bits were sent. Can you... Do you know where his corneas went? No, completely missed that one. <laughs> okay. This is not going well so far. My questions are notoriously difficult. <laughs> so, um, it was Portland, Oregon. So, of course, that's where corneas always go to. <laughs> Some lucky person in Portland getting all the corneas. Okay, um, you're probably not going to get this one either. Name the Istvahan terrorist suspect Mulder pulls on a computer. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I could run off some very generic <laughs> name here and sound incredibly racist, so I'm not going to. Um, no. Okay, no, it I was do. Mohammed Amralawi. Of course, one. and the other one, um, which you would do after they 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 mentioned Mohammed Amarawi in, in dialogue. The other one you have to freeze frame to get is um, Razdan Bunji, which is a really interesting name. So really, uh, yeah, Razdan Bunji. I'm not I'm not feeling that one. No, I know. <laughs> I suspect that was a, a dodgy joke. <laughs> Question four. Then, what is the company Lauren works for called? HTG. 
Yes. Well done. You're off the grid. Excellent. HG, HTG Industrial Technologies, um, fully, I believe. But yes, well done. Okay, question five. What does Mulder want to go and see in Philadelphia at the end? The Liberty Bell. The Liberty Bell, yes. Because there's that nice little jokey ending where they go, shall we go and see a landmark? Why not? Let's do it. And uh, they go and see the Liberty Bell. Okay, and finally, this is the quote. And I've tried to make the quote easier because the questions are so hard. This is a recurring theme. But, um, okay, this is a quote. So if you can get um, what scene it's from and who says it, that'd be good. Okay, you ready? Okay. Okay. They're here. So that's Scully um, <laughs> when they're talking about the car being uh, energised by said poltergeist. Yes, absolutely. Bonus point for the uh, reference to what film? Poltergeist. Oh, shocker. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well done. I can't actually give you a bonus point for that, but a, a theoretical bonus point. So you scored three out of six. Well, that's pretty good considering how bad it started. I'll take that every time. <laughs> that's a solid average that everyone's got. So, uh, so yeah, well done. You did not disgrace yourself there. That's good. <laughs> well, they're hard questions, goddammit. I know, sorry. Everyone has to pay attention when they, <laughs> when they get quizzed by with the X-Quiz. Okay, so that brings us to the end of uh, Look at Shadows. Um, huge thanks, Matt, for coming on for this one. It's been really, really good to talk. My pleasure. Can't wait to do it again. Yeah, me too. Um, so where can we find you on the internet? Okay, well, I occasionally guest in as a um, co-host at Fail Critics Podcast. We also have writings at failcritics.com. Um, if you like to listening and talking about retro video games, you can find some of my musings at retroasylum.com and also podcasts on iTunes. And I host a weekly FIFA Ultimate Team uh, podcast called the Foothead Podcast. That's F-U-T head podcast you can find that at foothead.com and on youtube and on itunes awesome you're quite prolific with these these amount of podcasts i have to yeah, say i need to be slightly less prolific i think for my <laughs> insanity but yeah i'm working hard at the moment i know the feeling with that yeah awesome do check out matt's podcasts and his writings as well because they're all awesome um you can find us as ever at the uh, the x underscore cast on twitter at the x cast on facebook and you can email us at the xfcast at gmail.com uh, we are on iTunes. Just type in the Xcast. Do subscribe. Do leave us a, a review if you can. That'd be that'd be brilliant if you could. We also do have a DVD to give away. In fact, you have a DVD to give away because you've been kind enough, Matt, to to um, to offer one up. Yes, that's right. I I was able to liberate X Files season six on DVD from a local charity shop, and it's in really good condition. I couldn't leave it behind, so I've offered to to give it up as a prize uh, as a prize for Xcast listeners because. I don't need it now. I've got the Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, but if you're missing a key component of your X Files DVD collection, then get involved, and that would be a great prize for you to win. And I'll make sure it gets to you ASAP. Awesome. Absolutely. All you got to do is leave a review. That's all you got to do. Okay. Ideally, a good one. <laughs> but all yeah. You do is leave a one star. I don't expect a DVD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm putting it out there now. People have been... There are some reviews on iTunes, but obviously we're still new. We're starting off. But the first person who leaves a review next gets that DVD. Okay? That's what I'm going to do. So I feel like I'm on a market stall here. So <laughs> I might make this. <laughs> so yeah. Do leave us a review and you could get a nice, shiny Season 6 DVD free to your door. So um, please do. Yeah. And you can also find us on Acasts, who are our hosts. So uh, do look those guys up. 
but yeah we'll be back for our next episode where we're um, we're looking at more season one so um, thanks again Matt no problem at all thanks for, for joining us folks and look forward to speaking to you again about the X-Files in the near future absolutely and remember everybody trust no one <laughs>